saving for a rainy day, but it's not even wet. Then there's food, some gas, and clothes. Don't forget the rent. Insurance pops up here and there. And don't forget to cut your hair. You need new shoes, but you got the blues because you just ran out of cash. Welcome to Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Our guest professor today is Andrew Kerr, founder of FiveIrea.com and host of the House Hacking Podcast. He's going to teach you how to turn your home into income. And after class, Sensible Bobby will help you budget your newfound income. So let's get right into it. Here she is, Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Sensible Chat. Before we get to our guest, I just want to mention a few things that are happening right now with respect to COVID-19, in case you haven't heard. First, beginning September 1, the payroll tax holiday went into effect. This allows employers to defer paying Social Security tax for their employees, and part of what they pay comes from your paycheck. This means you may see a bump in your paycheck if you make less than $4,000 before taxes on a biweekly basis. I say you may see a bump because it's up to your employer whether they participate or not. But if they do, and if you do see a bump in your paycheck, be careful about spending this money. Right now, it's only a deferment, which means that it may have to be paid back next year. If that's the case, and your employer has participated and given you that extra money, your employer is going to have to withhold more of your money than usual in order to pay it back. This is going to leave you with smaller paychecks than you're used to until it's all paid back. So, if you see a bump in your paycheck, I suggest you put that money into a savings account and forget about it. I know that may be really hard to do right now, especially for those who have taken a financial hit because of COVID. But if you use that money, will you be able to make ends meet next year when your employer has to withhold more from your paycheck in order to pay it back? If not, then you need to put that money aside now. Don't use it. There is a chance it won't have to be repaid. President Trump has said that if he's reelected, he'll forgive these taxes and make permanent cuts to the payroll tax. That would be great. But when you're struggling, you don't want to bank on ifs. So check with your employer and find out if your paycheck has changed. If it has, Make sure you know how much extra you're getting for this payroll tax holiday and put it into a savings account. If you do this, the worst that can happen is your check is short for part of next year, but you have the money in savings to make up the difference. The best that can happen is you don't have to pay it back and you can use that money toward your top financial goal. You'll even get a couple of pennies of interest along the way. But for now, plan for the worst, just in case. Another thing that's happening is that the deferment for student loan payments has been extended through December 31st. But remember, this is only for certain federal loans. Private loans are different. So make sure you know what kind of loan you have and whether this applies to your situation or not so you don't get a nasty surprise down the line. Finally, the eviction moratorium for renters has been extended through the end of the year. So if you're struggling to make the rent, Know that your landlord cannot evict you for not paying as long as you make 99000 or less per year or 198000 for couples filing jointly. But remember, this doesn't mean you don't owe the money. You just don't have to pay it right now. It's another deferment, 
which means you will have to pay it eventually. And there's nothing in the moratorium that stops landlords from levying penalties and fees if you can't pay on time. So you could end up owing a lot more than just the rent you can't pay right now. Also, you have to be able to prove that you're likely to become homeless if evicted. So if you can pay the rent right now, it's going to be much less costly in the long run to keep doing so. But if you have a real hardship, just know that help is still out there. Links to more information about everything I just told you are available in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. If you're going to take advantage of any of these programs, just make sure you have all the facts and are clear on the financial ramifications of the decisions you make. Today's guest joins us at the perfect time, as so many are struggling to make ends meet. For most of us, the rent or mortgage payment is the single largest monthly payment we make, sometimes more than a third of what we bring home. So what can we do right now to help make the rent or mortgage and stay current so we don't fall farther down the rabbit hole? Let's ask our guest. Okay, class, Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Andrew Kerr, founder of Financial Independence by Real Estate Investing, or FIBIREA. He's a real estate investor, serial house hacker, nonprofit director, world traveler, and host of the House Hacking Podcast. Andrew, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I, I really want to find out more about what you do. So let's start with your background and how you actually got into house hacking. Yeah, so it was really all by an accident. I was the student in high school that if I liked the class and I liked the teacher, I got an A, like 98, 99, 100. And if I didn't like the class or the teacher, I did a D, basically enough to get by. So that's the type of student I was. And what ended up happening is I didn't go to college. I just started working right away. And all by accident, I fell into the mortgage lending, residential lending, small commercial lending business. And here I was at 19, started making great money and then getting ready to turn 20. And I was going to move in with a buddy. We were going to rent a two bedroom apartment. And as we were looking at places, all of a sudden I realized I was like, man, these places aren't that nice for what we would pay and I've been working on all these loans for folks and I see the type of place that they're buying. They're buying brand new places and what their mortgage payment is. And that was essentially equivalent to what we could rent a place for. So to me, you know, I wasn't some, had this like brilliant foresight of like, oh, I need to get into real estate. It was more of just some of the very common sense of like me and my friend can go rent this place or I can go buy a place and then I'll just have my friend pay me rent. And that was sort of my first experience of house hacking. I bought a N-unit townhouse because at that time I was 20. I didn't want to do any yard work and the HOA covered that. And I think my mortgage all in was like 800 bucks, something like that with taxes and insurance. And my buddy was paying me, I think towards the end, you know, 500 bucks a month. So all of a sudden I was living with my housing costs at something like three, 350 a month. And that was really my first experience into house hacking. 
Wow. Yeah, that makes sense, especially, you know, for people just coming out of school and trying to find their first place and cut down on costs. Because, I mean, if you think about it, you know, rent or mortgage, whatever you're paying is usually the biggest slice of your income that you're paying out every month. So however you can find to lower that really makes a lot of sense. And when you and I started talking about the subject, I thought that house hacking only applied to people who own real estate. But clearly I was wrong. So let's talk about about what house hacking actually is. Yeah. So, you know, the term has varied over the years and the way I really like to define it is just oversimplify it. You know, house hacking is just making a different choice than what's normal to have reduced or completely eliminated housing costs. And there's ways to do it by buying property or renting property. And like you had mentioned, you know, for most folks, housing is our biggest expense in our budget. And the average person in the U.S. spends around 35, uh, in some places as high as 40% of their income on housing. So if you can do anything to reduce that or completely eliminate it by just making this alternative choice in your housing, to me, that's what house hacking is. And you recently featured a guest on your podcast who had gone from homeless to house hacker and actually building a financial base. Can you share his story? Yeah, that interview with Ken, I mean, it was really great. It was something that just sort of pulled on my heartstrings. You know, I've had times when I've struggled throughout life, but I mean, let me tell you, this was a veteran that served, fell on hard times after coming back, you know, 08, 09. And he essentially had the choice of like, I'm going to be homeless or all I could really afford was living in a hostel where, you know, for folks that ever done backpacking or traveled around the world, hostels will let you, you know, rent a bed for five, 10, 15, 20 bucks a night type of thing. But you're in a room with like five, six, seven, eight bunk beds. So, you know, shared bathroom, very basic accommodations. And it was either be homeless or that was his choice of like, that's all I could really afford. I can go out and hustle and get a few bucks to, you know, make sure I have a place to sleep. And just through a lot of hard work, through picking up side hustles, what he started to do was save up a little bit of money, improve himself, improve his skill sets, where he started to get a decent job. Again, you know, not not even making, you know, the average salary at that time, which I think the household income back then was, you know, 48, 49, 50,000. So nowhere near that and just saved up. And then he used some low to no down payment loan programs to buy not an amazing house, but a decent house that had extra rooms in it that he could then rent out. And I forget the exact numbers of what his mortgage were, but essentially by buying that house with that low to no money down program, he was able to end up having a home and then rent out the rooms. And that brought his housing costs close down to nothing. And then that just sort of accelerated the rest of his financial plan where he could focus on getting rid of debt and made work easier because you didn't have that stress of worrying about a high housing cost. And that let him save even more money. And then I've sort of followed his story over the past couple of years, and he's been slowly improving different parts of the house and renovating the bathrooms. And it's been working out really, really great for him. Wow. What a great story. And I think the moral of it is, is that no matter what your income level, there are certainly obviously creative ways out there to get things done when you are really determined and motivated to get those things done. So let's talk about some of the low income assistance programs that are available to help with house hacking. 
Absolutely. You know, the four really big ones out there are the FHA loan, Federal Housing Authority, the VA loan, which is the Veteran Administration, NACA, so it's the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, and then the USDA Rural Development Housing Loan. So those are the four big ones, and they have varying requirements. So obviously the VA loan, you need to be a veteran or active duty military. NACA and the USDA loan have income limits, so you need to actually be low to moderate income. USDA has, you know, you need to be in a more semi-rural area. They base it off of a census tract. So, you know, you're not going to be using that loan if you're in a big city, but folks all across the country in the Midwest, where you're in a town of maybe 20,000 people, that USDA loan can be perfect. And, you know, with the USDA loan, the VA loan, the NACA, most of those require 0% down payment. And then the FHA loan requires 3.5%. But for most folks, you know, if you're looking at buying a $200,000 house, three and a half percent down payment, seven grand. And that's a lot of money when you're struggling. But if you think through it, a lot of folks, even when they're in that low to moderate income bracket, they're getting a two or $3,000 tax refund check. So could you put that money aside for one year and then do a side hustle and put the tax return aside again the next year? Now, all of a sudden you've got that money. But even with the FHA loan, you can get a gift from family members if there's a family that's willing to sort of gift you part of that. And then outside of that, there's a lot of other options from a first responder, rescuer's loan. So if you're EMS, firefighter, police officer, you know, my uh, sister is no longer a police officer, but her husband still is. You know, when they bought their first home, they did that first responder loan and they were able to have buy a, zero, a home with 0% down. So there's a lot of options out there. I mean, we could spend probably two or three hours just going through all those different ones. But the four big ones for folks to go Google are FHA, VA, NACA, and then the USDA. I read up a little bit on these different loans while I was prepping for this interview because honestly, I didn't know a lot about house hacking before I started talking to you about it. But the thing that made me nervous when I first started looking at it is that when you get a zero down home loan or even three to five percent, that's going to greatly increase your mortgage. So maybe you didn't have to put much down, but there's that much more that you have to put to the mortgage each month. Now, I realize that with house hacking, the idea is for somebody else to pay that mortgage. So that may not be your concern. But how do you juggle that, especially when someone is low income and they're looking at having to cover this mortgage? I mean, if they don't have the renters, if somebody moves out, things like that, how do you kind of balance the two? Because ultimately, you're still going to be responsible for that mortgage. Yeah, you are. And, you know, there's like the Dave Ramsey group, you know, I love Dave Ramsey for a lot of reasons. And then there's certain things I don't, but he's very big on having absolutely no debt at all. And then even when you go to buy a house, you should try to pay it off as quick as possible. You know, he has some great, great things. So you got to sort of look at what's your personal preference. Are you one of those folks that truly want zero debt? But let's throw aside like a San Francisco, New York, places that are just astronomical prices. Most folks in America live in semi-affordable places. And if you were to actually look what your rent would be, even for a low-income place, you could go buy a house and your payment would be pretty close to the same. You know, I was just talking with a guy in Connecticut and, you know, my personal assumption of Connecticut is there's nothing under half a million. It's like Northeast, super expensive. You know, he bought a house in 2016 for 165. 
And then they did a live and flip with that property. Then they just bought another one in 2019 for $140,000. You know, $140,000 is extremely affordable. And even with a 0% down loan, and then adding in your taxes and your insurance and your mortgage insurance, you're going to be pretty comparable on that mortgage payment to your rent. So, you know, there always is that risk if something happens, but if you're renting, you'll get evicted. And if you're owning a home, yes, you could potentially lose that. But I sort of look at it as if we want to get ahead financially, we got to take some smart calculated risks and I'd say don't go buy a home where the mortgage payment's going to be fifteen hundred and you're used to renting seven or eight hundred. You got to try to find that right situation. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Like you said, there's always going to be risks that we have to take, and nothing is a hundred percent guaranteed. But I think that this provides opportunity for people who are in the right place. Certainly, if you can get something where you can pay zero down or very little down, and still be able yourself to afford the mortgage, just in case you didn't have somebody else to afford that mortgage. And certainly, if you have, you know, you mentioned Dave Ramsey, so I'll just kind of talk about his baby. Steps and one of them being a fully funded emergency fund so that you had that money to cover yourself in case something like that happened. And certainly the same goes for, you know, because the difference you always talk about, you know, mortgage versus rent. And we know that if you have a mortgage, you're going to have other costs because if something breaks, you can't call the landlord. But again, that's where your pre-planning comes in before you do this, right? Yeah. You got to have that a little bit of an emergency fund. You know, don't buy a house where it's going to tax you out. It's going to drain every single penny that you have. You know, we just really want to look at what are some of these more affordable options to help people transition to actually owning a home and then look at house hacking as sort of a short-term thing. It's not something you need to do for the rest of your life. But, you know, if you could for say three to five, maybe seven year period, cut your housing costs in half, that can be life-changing for folks. You know, there's a lot out there with folks making several hundred thousand dollars a year, trying to be multimillionaires by investing in real estate. But, you know, for the average American, if you can bring in an extra 500 bucks a month or cut your housing costs in half, that lets you pay off debt. It lets you put money aside for your kid's college education. You know, even 500 bucks a month lets you start to max out a individual retirement account you know, so there's just all these great opportunities where if you can look at doing a house act, even for a short term period, it can just really help set you up financially. And especially right now with the situation we're in where, you know, so many people have lost their jobs. There's just so much financial chaos out there right now. So this is a way because earlier, you know, I mentioned this is great for kids just coming out of college, whatever, but this can actually work for people at any age. And if you're, you know, even a family that's looking to replace some of that income, this might be a good way to do it. So what are some of the ways that house hacking can actually save money? Yeah. So we really define house hacking as six styles. You know, most folks, when they think of house hacking, it's like, oh, I'm going to have like two, three, four, five roommates. So, you know, that's that roommate style. And then there's two other good styles, like the accessory dwelling unit is where you have this detached building on your property, or you have an income suite. You know, think about that unfinished basement, or maybe even finished basement or a mother-in-law suite. Then there's that more traditional small multifamily, and you can do the live-in flip And then there's also this uh, work provided housing where you try to make a choice in your career 
to go with a job that will give you housing or a housing allowance. But you know, the big styles is, and I have this great episode, I think it was episode four from season one with Cammy, who's actually a dear friend of mine. We met years ago and then we got along and then our spouses got along, but her and her partner at the time, they're now married. They bought this home. It was typical, I guess it was three bedroom, two bathroom home, but it had a garage behind it. And then they converted that garage into a little one bedroom apartment. But over this eight-year period, they went from renting out the main house on Airbnb and then going to stay with friends so they could rent out the house and use that to save money. Then they used up money they, they saved to then build a little tiny apartment, 500 square feet above the garage, and then they rented out the big house. And then they got pregnant with their first child, and then they moved into the big house, and then they rented the outside apartment. And that outside apartment above the garage actually covered the whole mortgage cost. So over this like seven or eight year period, they found a property that transitioned with them through all these different stages of life from being you know, young in love to engaged to being married to now having a child. So there's a lot of different options out there where you don't have to have necessarily the roommates with you. You know, my wife and I, when we were dating serious, we knew we were going to get engaged. We bought a property together when we moved to New Orleans. It was an old building that we renovated, but we had three apartments in the main building and we lived in the two bedroom, one bathroom upstairs. And then we rented the one bedroom and the other two bedroom apartment that were downstairs and that covered our mortgage. And then we had a little garage that we turned into a little studio apartment. And then that actually produced us about eight to $10,000 a year in profit. And we did that for sort of our early engagement and then our marriage. And then we sort of said, look, we're moving along in life. Life's more comfortable. And we went from that two bedroom, one bathroom to now we did another house hack. And this is a duplex. So we're not renting rooms, but we went from a two bedroom, one bathroom where we were making money to now a duplex. And we've got three bedrooms and two bathrooms. I mean, we like almost doubled our space. We have a very comfortable life for it. And we're living in a part of town where, you know, if you were to rent a property like ours, it probably cost you 2000 2200 a month. And because we have the tenant on the other side paying rent, it's costing us about 800 bucks a month to live here. Wow. So, you know, we're living in a nice area, good quality, you know, fully renovated kitchen, hardwood floors, a beautiful area. So you can use this as you go through different stages of life for where you're at and say, look, you know, I can make more sacrifices now and have roommates. And then I can go into, you know, me and my partner, we don't want roommates. So we're going to take a smaller place, a two bedroom, one bathroom. And then we transitioned into now in our thirties and a little more comfortable and don't want the roommate situation. So it's just, just a really great opportunity to use it as a tool to help you get ahead financially. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how small sacrifices in the short term make a huge difference in the long term. And like you said, this doesn't have to be forever. I think that's where a lot of us get caught up because when we're looking at making changes to help our financial situation, we kind of think it's all or nothing. We're living a certain lifestyle now. So if we have to make changes, we kind of just drift almost automatically to thinking that this is permanent and it doesn't have to be. It's just maybe a deviation on your road to get back to the road of where you ultimately want to be and find your destination. Absolutely. And and that's the conversation that I had with my then girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, as I said, look, you know, we could go do this and 
bring our housing costs for zero. You know, this isn't forever, but think about what happens if we have zero housing costs for three years. And, you know, we personally love to travel. We actually met doing aid work in a disaster zone. And I did a lot of nonprofit and humanitarian work overseas. And just, you know, we both love travel. And the value proposition to her was nonprofit work doesn't pay a lot. We're trying to build longer term wealth, but do we really need more than a two bedroom, one bathroom? I mean, we've lived in like a tent and we've lived in a disaster zone. Like it's not really sacrificing. And because we have zero housing costs, we can max out retirement accounts and we have some money to travel. So to me, it's not necessarily sacrificing, but saying, you know, what do we value more and where do we want to be? So let's look at, you know, those things, you know, Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else. So you can then live like no one else or something along yeah. those lines. And that's the way we look at it. It's like, this is what's important to us. Having a giant house isn't important to us. Like a two bedroom house for us is plenty of room. And then we upgraded to a three bedroom, two bathroom. And it's like, whoa, we got two bathrooms. We got three bedrooms. This is so much space. So, you know, it's all really deciding on what you value. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I, I love Dave Ramsey's live like no one else so you can live like no one else. That's a great thing. And, you know, it always sounds fabulous when you hear success stories of people who did this and they made these choices and now they're living this great life. But along the way, everyone makes mistakes, right? And it's not yeah. always a smooth path. So let's talk about some of the biggest mistakes that people make when house hacking so that others might avoid those along the way. Yeah, I see the two biggest things are not doing screening and then not signing leases and then enforcing the rules in the lease, right? So, you know, most folks will start out, if you're doing that roommate style, they have a friend that will live with them, or maybe they're living that duplex or they've got that basement that they rented out. Do screening. And there's a lot of tools out there. Like I use Cozy and I don't actually have to pay for it. The tenants, when they apply, they actually have to pay, I think it's $39 for the screening. And then Cozy sends me the report that says, here's their credit and here's their background check. So that's one of the first biggest mistakes, folks, is they don't screen. And when you do the screen, it lets you catch potential problems before they happen. And then after the screening is not signing a lease and enforcing a lease. You know, unfortunately, nowadays, you can't do things just on a handshake and a promise, Put together a lease, spend a little bit of money, and then get a lease, and that can help you prevent a lot of problems down the road. It just outlines the terms and the expectations and what happens if either party doesn't live up to it, and that can save you tons of time. You know, I did a, a lot of college housing and affordable housing, and I probably represented myself in about 20 to 30 plus evictions, and I won every single one of them because I had a really great lease and I enforced the lease. Now, don't let that scare you away by saying I had 20 plus evictions. I, as I was growing my real estate portfolio, I invested in affordable housing, which sometimes can be extremely challenging. But with my nonprofit background, I wanted to go rent in lower income communities and help and improve them. So that's not everyday thing that most people run into. So don't let that scare you away from house hacking. 
And certainly that is a concern that a lot of people have is bringing people into their homes that they may not know and, you know, what can happen. And certainly, yeah, if you have to evict somebody. So it's good to know that there are people out there like you who have a lot of experience with that. And there's probably great ways to get assistance then with writing up those contracts to make sure that we cover ourselves. And I want to talk about that. But before we get to that, I just want to go the other side, because for those people who are are very nervous about doing the house hacking with having roommates or people in their homes. There are some other things that they can do like property hacking and rent hacking. Let's talk about what those are and how those differ. The concept is the same, right? You try to find a property that has some sort of income potential. So whether that's a house where you're renting rooms or you're buying the property that has a basement with its own walkout and a door that sort of closes off between, say, the upstairs and the basement, or you find the property that has a small apartment above the garage that's next to the main house. And and the way I look at it is, you know, the six main styles of house hacking, you can do the same, whether you want to rent or you want to buy. So if you're buying, you obviously got to go through the loan process and then you're in charge of maintenance. But what you want to do if you're doing the rent hacking option is just say, which style of house hacking best suits me and my current situation in life, and then go find a property that can fit that style of house hacking. And then the only change you need to make is instead of going and you're going to say, you know, you're going to rent a four bedroom house and rent out the other three rooms to your friends. You just need to make sure the landlord is comfortable with you subleasing. And most landlords, if you're honest and upfront, will be okay with that. And here's why. If you come in to the landlord and say, look, I want to rent your house, but I'm going to have three folks live with me. As a landlord, I'm going to say, great, you've got income and you can cover the rent but now I know you're going to be collecting rent from your three other buddies. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds pretty good. So that I know as a landlord, the chance that you're going to pay drastically goes up. And if you find that say house that has that basement that has like a little mother-in-law suite or a kitchenette down there, I just ask the landlord and say, look, you know, I've got family that likes to come to stay with me a couple of times a year. I might rent out that unfurnished basement. I just want to make sure you're okay as a landlord if I rent this place from you, knowing that I won't move out and put someone else in. But while I'm living there, I want to be able to rent out that unfinished basement. And most landlords, if you're upfront with them, they'll be okay with that. So that's a great alternative if you don't even want to go into the home ownership piece of it, that you could rent properties and still get this done if you work with the landlord to do it. Yeah. So now what about property hacking? Because I've heard that certain people do this with like uh, renting out space in their garage for storage or other things like that. Is that common? You know, it's a little more rare, but you just got to think about it, right? And to me, property hacking falls under house hacking, right? It's like, what can I do to reduce my housing costs? So, you know, folks will say, look, you know, I don't have a car or I don't mind parking on the street. My neighbor needs garage space. So I'll rent out the garage and I'll put a lock in the garage. So that way they know I'm not walking into the garage and they can't get into the house. You're maybe putting a lock on both sides of that garage door. And, you know, if you don't need the garage and you can rent it out for 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, do it. That could be a great option. Someone else I was reading where they've got a lot of land. So they actually 
put a hookup on the side of their property for 220 volt outlet. So that way someone can park an RV there and plug their RV in and charge their RV. So they've got a big RV parked on the side of their house. And I can't remember what they charge. But so, you know, if you just think about these options and say, look, what's my property like? And are there ways I can produce extra income with it by renting out unused space, whether that's renting livable space or renting out unlivable space like a garage that could be used for storage. So there's a lot of options out there. It's not something that's super common, but you know, be creative with it. And again, it's not something you have to do long term. You know, do it to help you get ahead financially. I love that. And I especially just love the mindset because, you know, whether you're just looking to save money for a specific goal or whether you're really in a bind and looking to replace some income that you've lost, there are ways to get creative and get your income up, even if you may not be able to find as much work as you need right now. So that's fantastic to know. And I really appreciate you sharing all this information with us. So if people want to get more information uh, about House Hacking or listen to your podcast or the other information that's available on your website, how can they get a hold of you? Just look up The House Hacking Podcast. So if you go to the Apple Store, Google Podcasts, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, we're out in all of them. You know, whatever your favorite podcast listening medium is, just do The House Hacking Podcast. We come up and then all the Facebook, Instagram handles are The House Hacking Podcast. And then didn't you say you have a website, dot com. It's short for sort of achieving financial independence by real estate investing. What a great concept. And thank you so much for sharing all these great ideas of alternatives to make money with your home and save money with your home and just reach your financial goals no matter what stage you are at financially. I love that. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing all of your expertise. I really appreciate it. No problem. It was great talking with you this morning. A great big sensible thank you to our guest professor, Andrew Kerr founder of FiveByRia.com and host of the House Hacking Podcast. Check out the ultimate guide to house hacking in the show notes for this episode at SensibleChat.com. Who knew there are so many ways to use your home to make extra cash? Andrew shared some great ideas that can go a long way toward helping make ends meet if money's tight or building wealth if you're lucky enough to have more than you need for day-to-day living right now. Whichever camp you're in, stay focused on your goals. House hacking is a great idea, but it's going to take a bit of work and, depending on the lifestyle you're used to, a bit of sacrifice to get this done. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to sacrifice, make sure you stay focused on why. Otherwise, you're taking on the poor mindset that says, I have to cut corners in everything pinch every penny, and live on as little as possible simply because I'm poor. It will always be this way, and there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Wrong. I spent half my life in this mindset, and I can tell you it gets you nowhere but miserable. I grew up in a family that bought generic everything and used empty tubs of butter as Tupperware, reusing paper towels and purchasing clothes from secondhand stores. I was not amused as a child. I understood it and even practiced it as an adult when I started having to pay for things on my own. But it wasn't until many years later that I realized what was missing. We used as little money as possible, but there was never a goal, a focus of why we were doing it. 
so there was never a payoff. Just that feeling of constant struggle. The money we, quote, saved was soon squandered in other areas, just a bit at a time, but always squandered, because the thinking was that there was never enough to really save and make a difference. Over time, of course, if we had saved it, it would have made a huge difference. So my point is, anytime you're going out of your way to save money, ask yourself why. Otherwise, you're sacrificing for nothing. When you sacrifice constantly and never see a payoff, that leads to despair and hopelessness pretty quickly. So figure out your why, your goal, and then make a solid plan to reach that goal. Once you make the plan, you'll see that your sacrifice doesn't have to last forever. You'll have a definitive timeline to reach your goal. Then you'll be able to reap the rewards of your sacrifice. Of course, something big like house hacking certainly warrants a plan of what to do with the money, unless you just enjoy sharing your living space with others and want to do it indefinitely. But when you're talking about smaller savings, sometimes the focus gets lost. Take couponing, for example. Some people just enjoy couponing. It's a game more than a tool for saving money. And that's fine. But consider how much faster you could reach your financial goals if you actually did something with the money you saved. If you use coupons for a purchase and determine that you saved $10, put that $10 toward your number one financial goal, be it paying off debt, saving for your next car, investing, going on a trip, whatever. Because if you don't direct that savings, you'll just squander it on something else. After all, it's only 10 bucks. But do that 10 times and you've got 100 bucks. And if you're not couponing just for fun, you're defeating the purpose if you don't direct your savings. Same goes for sales. All you bargain shoppers that love a great deal, think about what you're doing with the money you saved. If you don't know what happened to it, you're really not saving. You're just playing a mental game with yourself. After all, the only way to truly save money is to not spend it. Just because it's on sale doesn't mean you saved money. If you're buying something you would have bought anyway and the price is less than you planned on spending, great, spend the money and then save the difference. Now I can hear you saying, I don't have any money to save, I can barely pay my bills. Okay, then think about how much less stressed you'd be if you saved $10 at the grocery store by buying all generic and put that money aside for your next electric bill. It may not cover the whole thing, but it's a step in the right direction. And when you can see money collecting for a specific purpose, it gives you hope and determination to find more money to put in that pile. A great way to do this is to have categories in your budget and put that money directly into a chosen category, like your electric bill, as soon as you make the purchase. The alternative is to spend that, quote, extra money on something else, and that's fine, but it won't bring you any closer to reaching your financial goals. The decision is yours, but make it intentionally. The worst feeling is making a decision that feels good in the moment and then regretting it later when you actually take the time to think it through. That's why I love budgeting. It helps me think through my choices all at once as soon as I get my paycheck and categorize my money accordingly. Once that's done, I don't have to think it through any further. All I have to do is monitor my budget before I spend and track my spending so I can accurately monitor it before I spend again. 
When I do this, the question, can I afford it, is answered quickly. And though I may not always like the answer, it's a lot less stressful than finding out later after I spend that money. There's more to budgeting than creating your plan. You've got to use that plan in your everyday life. Otherwise, it's like making a grocery list and then shopping without it. It doesn't do you any good if you don't use it. If you need help creating your budget, check out my 10-day budget challenge and read my blog post, The Five-Step Budgeting Process, to help keep you on track. They're both available at sensiblechat.com and you'll find links in the show notes for this episode. Remember, budgeting is not hard. It's just math. Changing your mindset is the challenge. And sometimes the biggest challenge is starting. So if you're overwhelmed and want some help getting started, go to sensiblechat.com, schedule your free budget consultation with me, and let's work together to get you moving toward the life you dream of. Until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sensible Chat. All the links and resources mentioned are in the show notes at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. To schedule your free budget consultation, click on the book a free call button in the upper right-hand corner at sensiblechat.com. Have a question or success story or how about a great budgeting idea? Sensible Bobby loves it all and wants to hear from you. Go to sensiblechat.com for all the contact information. That's sensible with a C.